This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. And welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast. Welcome today from the Young Turks, the Rachel Maddow Show, Counterspin, Mumia Abu-Jamal, This Week in Blackness, and comedians Louis C.K. and Stuart Lee. And a quick clarification before we begin that white privilege is not something that one can actually be guilty of. However, you can be guilty of failing to recognize it. So we've got Fox on Fox Crime. Uh, Jamie Foxx uh, has apparently done a monologue on Saturday Night Live that is unacceptable to Fox News Channel. Uh, he did a theme that was, how black is that? I watched it. It was really funny. Sean Hannity watched it, and he got really angry. Just two weeks ago, left-wing actor Jamie Foxx, he referred to the president, the anointed one, as, quote, his lord and our savior. Fox is making headlines yet again after appearing this weekend on Saturday Night Live, but uh, this time it's with a not-so-funny, racially charged joke about his new movie. Listen to this. It's good to be black. Black is a new white. I'm telling you, black, I mean, how black is this right here? Nice, nice flying. I'm saying, Django Unchained, I play a slave. Uh, how black is that? And uh, in the movie, I have to wear chains. Um, how whack is that? But don't, don't, don't be worried about it because I get out the chains, I get free, I save my wife, and I kill all the white people in the movie. How great is that? Uh, how great killing white people, really? Okay, first of all, he's joking, you moron. He's joking. He's on Saturday Night Live. It's a comedy program. He's doing a monologue. Furthermore, he's joking, not about real life, but about a movie. You see, there aren't slaves anymore, so how could he have been a slave? Hmm. And by the way, if you were taking it seriously, and literally, if you were a slave, and they were about to do something terrible to your wife, and you got unchained, wouldn't you kill them all? Is that wrong? Like, how dare you? Do you know your role? He's not alone. Newsbusters agrees. Noel Shepard says, How does it help race relations? In this country, when a black actor jokes on national television about killing white people, how could he do it? He's not serious. He wasn't actually a slave. All right, no continues. Imagine the uproar if a white actor joked about killing all the black people in a new film he was starring in, that would probably be the end of his career. Unless it was a movie where that was happening, and it wouldn't be the end of his career at all. <laughs> okay, it's a movie! <laughs> By the way, here's my favorite part of the Newsbusters thing. At the end, they know their audience, and they know their audience is actually racist, and is about to say the most vile things in the comment section. So they put this disclaimer. Associate editor's note, Vulgar, racist, obscene, and threatening comments are not allowed on this website. Any such will be removed with a guilty party band. Your cooperation is greatly appreciated. Because <laughs> you know what's coming. But Hannity isn't just mad at uh, Jamie Foxx. He's also very angry at Bill Maher. Hmm, a turn I did not see coming. Liberal host Bill Maher took to Twitter over the weekend in an effort to smear the late legendary singer, Tea Party supporter Andy Williams. Now, his latest disgusting message read, quote, about Andy Williams' Christmas songs I wish I could forget. I found out near the end of his life that he was a teabag idiot, but I can't, so I'll put on Dee Martin. Joining me now with reaction to the language, Fox News contributor Deneen Borelli from the New York Civil Rights Coalition, Michael Myers. 
What I love about that is every time he has a panel on bashing African Americans, Hannity always has two African Americans, and they always agree with him. Weird, right? In fact, let's show you some of them. I guess I'm just going to have to accept that liberals can say anything. And it can be racial, it can be bigoted, it can be hateful, and it's okay. Is that just, is that just the way it's going to be That's in America for now on? And this is what's been going on. I mean, Sean, it's really tragic because in Hollywood and in entertainment, this has become the norm. It's culturally acceptable. Just tragic. All the black people at Fox News totally agree. Now, conservative hosts wouldn't say anything outrageous and vulgar and wrong, would they? I mean, uh, Sean Hannity just told me only liberals do that and get away with it. Hmm. Let's see if we can find conservatives who might have said some outrageous things. Hey, Barack Obama has picked up another endorsement. African-American uh, actress Halle Berry. As a African-American, I'm honored to have Ms. Berry's support, as well as the support of other African-Americans, uh, Obama. On what grounds will those of you defending this, this congressman's decision and his right to choose his favorite book, you know, would you allow them to choose, you know, Hitler's Mein Kampf, which is the Nazi Bible? And I couldn't get over the fact that there was no difference between Sylvia's restaurant and any other restaurant in New York City. I mean, it was, a, it was exactly the same, even though it's run by blacks, primarily uh, black patronship. But I want to say it again and again and again. Islam is not a religion. It is a political system meant on, uh, bent on world domination. Islamic moderates, are that's an oxymoron. There is no such thing as, a, as an Islamic moderate. So you have no problem referring to Arabs as camel jockeys? Oh, yeah, no. They killed 3,000 Americans. Uh, it is every bit as insidious as communism, perhaps more so. You expect safety, but in Obama's America, the white kids now get beat up with the black kids cheering, yeah, right on, right on, right on, right on. It wasn't one person in Sylvia's who was uh, screaming, MF'er, I want more iced tea. We have sure moved away from the day when we called them krauts and nips. A fist bump, a pound, a terrorist fist jab. No, conservatives would never say anything outrageous and get away with it. It's only what they do for a living. But they are outraged that Jamie Foxx would ever say a joke. How dare he? Before I get too far into this next story, I, I want to show you this. And that is Arkansas State Senator Jason Rapert, a Tea Party Republican elected in the great Tea Party wave of 2010. And he apparently can play the living daylights out of a fiddle. Wow. Also, he gets stuff done in Arkansas. Last night on the show, we reported about a new bill passed yesterday by the Arkansas Senate that would effectively ban abortion in the state. The bill was sponsored by Jason Rapert, the, fiddl the fiddler there. Uh, in the hearings for the bill, an opposing legislator pointed out to him that if his bill became law, doctors would need to do an internal vaginal ultrasound in order to determine which very few Arkansas women would be eligible for their constitutional rights anymore. You would need a vaginal probe in order to figure that out.
The Democratic senator asked him, quote, can you imagine what kind of feeling that would cause inserted into a woman? Quote, no, Rapert replied, according to the local Times record newspaper. No, I can't imagine what kind of feeling that would cause. And then they voted for his bill. So that was Arkansas just so far this week. But then today, hmm, uh, newly uncovered video of the same Senator Jason Rapert from 2011. I wonder sometimes when they invited all the Muslims to come into the White House and have them a little Ramadan supper when our president could not take the time to go attend a national prayer breakfast. I wonder what he stands for. You know what? They told me that what you say speaks so loudly, that, well, excuse me, what you do speaks so loudly that what you say I cannot hear. I hear you loud and clear, Barack Obama. You don't represent the country that I grew up with. And your values is not going to save us. We're going to try to take this country back for the Lord. We're going to try to take this country back for conservatism. And we're not going to allow minorities to run roughshod over what you people believe in. We're not going to allow minorities to run roughshod over what you people believe in. I'm not exactly sure what he means by that. Uh, President Obama has also attended the National Prayer Breakfast every year, so that part was just wrong. We called Senator Jason Rapert today and wrote to him, hoping that he would explain what exactly he wants which minorities to stop running roughshod over. The Tea Party audience he was speaking to in Arkansas clearly understood something about what he meant, but I would love to hear him explain it without a crowd cheering him on. The clip of Senator Rapert was first reported by Lee Fang at The Nation. He points out that Senator Rapert got a lot of money from pretty mainstream corporations on his way into office. Southwestern Energy Company, Eli Lilly, uh, Nucor, which is the largest steel producer in the U.S., they're based in North Carolina, Verizon, gave Jason Rapert money to get elected. Also, of course, the Cook brothers, who targeted Arkansas last year and spent big there to turn the Arkansas legislature from blue to red, which did happen, including the re-election of Senator Ultrasound Roughshod Minorities Jason Rapert. But something else is going on in Arkansas, because the minorities running roughshod guy is not alone in Arkansas. They're kind of making a habit of this sort of thing recently. In Arkansas, in the Arkansas legislature, you've also got the state Republican lawmaker whose letters to the local paper include the one where he said, quote, if slavery were so god-awful, why didn't Jesus or Paul condemn it? Why was it in the Constitution, and why wasn't there a war before 1861? That was an Arkansas Republican state representative writing in 2009. Uh, Arkansas also has the state Republican lawmaker who put his views on the subject of slavery in a book. Quote, the institution of slavery that the black race has long believed to be an abomination upon its people may actually have been a blessing in disguise. Arkansas state representative in a book he published in 2010. Uh, After the views of both of those gentlemen came to broader public light, both of those blessings on Arkansas got voted out of office this past November, along with another Republican state rep who argued that everyone in America who is Muslim should be deported to another country. He also said parents should be allowed at least limited access to the death penalty for their children. You should be allowed to kill your kid. Arkansas Republican state rep uh, wrote that in a book in 2012. Those three Republican state legislators in Arkansas all lost to Democrats in this past election, even though this past election was one in which Republicans won both chambers of the legislature in Arkansas for the first time in Reconstruction. And that was thanks in part to a lot of corporate money. Jason Rapert is from a district that leans Democratic. But thanks to his very well-funded campaign, thank you, Verizon! 
He didn't get voted out at all. He is still keeping the state of Arkansas safe from the minorities running roughshod over what you people believe in. Arkansas, what's going on there? What's going on with you guys? Here at Best of the Left, supporting the good works of others is our entire reason for existence. Since the beginning of 2006, I've been making this show to highlight what I consider to be some of the best of the truly liberal media. Now I'm working on several ways to promote the best progressive activism around. Ruminate for a moment on whether you enjoy this show or consider its goals to be worthwhile, and if you do, please consider supporting this work by becoming a member for as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. It's the donations of members that allow the show to continue and continue to improve. Thanks so much for your support. Apparently yesterday, uh, a member of the California Department of Fish and Wildlife spotted Chris Dorner driving in Big Bear. Uh, and then, I don't know how it got to that point, but uh, LAPD learned that he was in a cabin and uh, he was barricaded in that cabin. And then all of a sudden, there was a fire, and Chris Dorner's body, or it hasn't been confirmed yet, but a charred body emerged from that cabin after the fire was put out. Now, uh, ABC News has a bit of a timeline on this, so let's take a look at that, and we'll discuss. After an all-day standoff filled with shootouts and drama... The week-long international manhunt for Christopher Dorner ended overnight in a blazing inferno. Sources tell ABC News it all started shortly after noon when a maid called 911, saying she and another worker had been tied up and held hostage by Dorner in a resort cabin. Remarkably, just a few yards from where police had been holding press briefings for nearly a week. Shut down the freeway, possibly uh, for the subject we've been looking for. This time in a shootout with two approaching sheriff's deputies. Dorner kills one and wounds another before once again fleeing. Then, less than an hour later, residents report the sound of gunfire at a nearby cabin. By 2 p.m., smoke is pouring out of the building, then flames. Shortly before 5, reports of a SWAT team approaching the fire in an armored vehicle and injecting gas into the cabin before reportedly peeling back the walls of that cabin like an onion. I mean, I hate, I hate that it had to end like that. Uh, and I'm, I'm not saying it had to end like that with the fire and everything, but another uh, police official was shot and killed. Uh, there was a, a gun battle, and that's how it ended. Uh, one other police official uh, has been hospitalized. He had to undergo surgery as a result of a, a gun wound. Uh, it's a really tragic story, and I'm pretty sure that that's Chris Dorner's body. I mean, of yes. course, they haven't confirmed it, but Desi, what are your thoughts on the story? Well, there was about a, a press conference about uh, two hours ago before air, and one of the things that they did say was that they had found a charred driver's license, so that does make it seem like it was uh, Christopher Dorner's driver's license on what they were able to discern, so it does seem like it's going to be him. But what I found particularly surprising about this entire episode are the, the, the police procedures. Yes. It seems like like, you know, there have been multiple missteps all along the way, and we're talking just specifically about this particular 
chase manhunt that went on, not about, you know, the reopening of the investigation into his initial firing. You know, that's a whole other big legacy that the LAPD has to deal with. There are issues with racism within the department and within the community of Los Angeles. These are very well established. On one hand, you want to condemn Dorner for what he did. And of course, you want to condemn him. What he did was wrong. He didn't handle it correctly. However, that's not to say that there weren't parts of his manifesto that could have been legitimate. Um, and I'm glad that there is an investigation into his firing. And I do want an investigation into some of the other accusations that were pointed out in his manifesto. And I think that the way the LAPD handled this particular case demonstrates that some of the uh, things in his manifesto were legitimate. It does It does yeah. seem like they did react quite strongly, shall yes. we say? Now, yes. obviously, you know, people in a situation of fear like this, this, you know, it's hard to judge. We'll find out more as an investigation, which I am sure is going to happen, will be uh, brought up on the entire process of what happened. One of the things that they did say in the press conference was that they did not intend to set fire to the cabin, that they actually had sent in pyrotechnic tear gas, but they didn't mean to set the place on fire. Yes, yeah, so, so you, you make a good point about that because there is a lot of controversy stirring on the internet about a video. It's an unconfirmed, it's actually audio, unconfirmed audio uh, of the incident that happened yesterday. And it allegedly has police officers talking about how they're going to set the cabin on fire. Tear that whole wall down, that door and that window. Make a big port window for me there. All right, Steve, we're going to go, uh, we're going to go forward with the plan with the, with the burner. Seven burners deployed and we have a fire. Copy, seven burners deployed and we have a fire. Guys, be ready on the number four side. We have fire in the front. You might come out the back. It's not like one shot fire from inside the residence. Copy, one shot fired from inside the residence. Confirming you still want fire to roll in? Roll in and stay. That is a telling piece of audio. Indeed. Uh, and again, I do want to uh, mention again that it's unconfirmed, but if cops did intentionally set the cabin on fire, you have some issues there. Yeah. Because we don't prosecute people anymore in this country. I mean, we, de we certainly don't prosecute when it comes to people that uh, have done us wrong uh, and they're abroad, right? I mean, we've kind of set a precedent with that, but I don't want to do that here in the United States as well. No, and it's, it's an interesting idea. Why did they have to set the cabin on fire? Why did they have to smoke him out right now? I mean, again, we don't know if they set it on fire on purpose or not, but should clarify that. But why did they have to smoke him out of, this, of the cabin so fast? I mean, he, he, hadn't, he didn't kill the maids that he could have. He didn't actually harm anyone that he could have. He could have, uh, he could have killed those maids and disappeared, and they would never have known that he was right across the street from them. He did not do that, and yet they went ahead and went in and tried to smoke him out fast. He would have exited the cabin eventually. Someday, you would yeah, think, yeah. you know, so, at some point. So what was the rush? Yeah, so I don't, I'm not sure I agree. If it is confirmed at some point that the LAPD used this strategy, I, I'm not sure I agree with the strategy, but this is how the case ended. And, of course, there will be updates. I'm sure at some point there will be a confirmation that that charred body was the body of Christopher Dorner. Another manifesto that was written by an ex-LAPD uh, officer by the name of Joe Jones. Now, Joe Jones posted this manifesto Manifesto on his Facebook page, and he was very clear in condemning Christopher Dorner for what he did. Okay, so he is not in favor of kill killing innocent individuals uh, in retaliation of how the LAPD treated ex 
cops. Um, but he does say some things that were really interesting, and I want to read them to you. He says, the first thing I would say to Dorner is, I feel your pains, but you are going about this the wrong way. To take innocent lives could never be the answer to anything. I say this as a man who experienced the same pain, betrayal, anger, suffering, litigation, and agony that you did in many ways. He continues to write, I need you to first assume that I would not surface 16 years later with lies about a situation that has me with PTSD to this very day. The pain forces me to speak as I have yet to shake the ills of my experience as an LAPD officer. So a lot of people uh, are talking about this now and the fact that another individual has come forward, another black police official or ex-police official from the LAPD is coming forward and talking about his treatment. I mean, I really hope that there is at least an internal investigation to see whether or not there's mistreatment. Happening. I would think that there would have to be at this point. I mean, one of the things that is well known within most police departments, and especially even within the Los Angeles Police Department, something that Dorner had mentioned was the blue code of silence, where they don't talk about each other, they don't uh, tell on each other, essentially. And I think that that is also something that has enabled the uh, racial conflicts that we have heard about over the last several decades with the LAPD that has enabled those conflicts to continue because they don't ever get aired out. And obviously, you know, Los Angeles the communities, especially the communities around the downtown police departments, you know, those communities have big problems with the Los Angeles Police Department because of past police, police brutality. You know, one of the things that came up that I thought was very interesting about their response has been the social media response. A lot of people have gone on to Dorner's Facebook page and this uh, ex-cop's Facebook page as well to offer support for them. Not that they're supporting that he killed innocent people, but supporting that somebody finally got some revenge essentially against a system that had wronged him. So it's, it's a very interesting and culturally significant, I think, event that, you know, we'll find out hopefully more later on about what his mental state was, what actually happened in his employment, what actually happened afterward, and what's really going on in the LAPD. And it's really a shame because the of course, the majority of police officers put their lives on the line to protect yes. us. And yes. usually the negative aspects of any police uh, department always gets covered by the media. So I just want to take a moment to say that, of course, not all members of the LAPD are corrupt and hateful individuals. The majority of them do protect us. They do want to look out for us. I just hope that they do an investigation and reveal whatever faults they have and do whatever they can to improve. Because if you don't, then all of a sudden, you know, your department is going to get painted in the most negative possible way. Former Los Angeles police officer Christopher Dorner was himself killed after reportedly killing three people in what he claimed in an online statement was a campaign of retaliation against the LAPD for his 2008 firing. For some, it was easy enough to see Dorner's actions as horrific, while still taking seriously his stated complaint that, despite reported reforms, the LAPD still engages in unacceptable brutality, primarily against black and brown people. 
Not for most in elite media, though. In a piece for Counterpunch, Lynn Washington notes the cues in a February 7th New York Times article that said, quote, Mr. Dorner laid out grievances against a police department that he said remained riddled with racism and corruption, a reference to a chapter of the department's history that, in the view of many people, was swept aside long ago, close quote. Well, those many people can't include the Los Angeles communities whose concerns over current police brutality have been so vocal that the LAPD ordered a series of public meetings throughout the city just last fall to address them. Or even the reporters at the LA Times who broke the story of the Jump Out Boys, a clique within the LA Sheriff's Department that allegedly overtly celebrates brutality against people of color, including shootings. No context excuses Dorner's actions, naturally, but neither does it imply an endorsement of them to recognize that concerns about police brutality are not themselves delusional. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Manifesto. In the news business, yesterday's news is, well, no longer news. It's stale, old, and useless. Yet this rush for what's new often ignores that which bears closer scrutiny. I speak of the memorandum written by LAPD's former elite officer Christopher Jordan Dorner, reportedly later killed during a fiery armed conflict in the hills of Southern California. This document, titled Last Resort, runs some ten pages long, and news accounts have not given it a full or fair portrayal. Many, perhaps most reporters, opined that he was obviously crazy, thereby suggesting that his own stated basis for his anti-LAPD actions were unworthy of consideration. These were the journalists who performed their services to the powerful, rather than purveyors of information to the public. One well-known journalist all but bragged that he received a package from Dorner, yet didn't read it. He dutifully turned it over to police. Amazing. I don't have Internet access, but someone had the kindness to send me a hard copy text. What I read was, to say the least, stunning. If you want to see behind the so-called thin blue line, I urge you to read it. It really is a remarkable first-person account of his life in the LAPD and his treatment there, including his vigorous responses when someone used a racial epithet in his presence. In one example, he cites the free use of the N-word, nigger, by a cop in his vehicle. He told the guy it was unacceptable, and the guy repeated it. 
Drawner stopped the car, grabbed the offender, and choked him. When the incident was reported, none but one of the cops there admitted they heard the slur. But I again urge you, read it for yourself. It'll give you insight into the inner workings of the LAPD, but more importantly, also of the media. Dorner repeatedly implored journalists to investigate his claims, but there's little chance now. It's old news from a prison nation. This is Mumia Abu Jamal. They say the more things change, the more they stay the same. Keep you so confused. Yeah, but that's old news. Hey, what's the Civil War? What's up with less is more? Go try at the store. They left you out the door. Keep you so confused. Yeah, but that's old news. The Republican Party has a new campaign going. It's called Growth and Opportunity Project. As part of this new GOP, Republican Party Chairman Reince Priebus is visiting around the country. Yesterday, Mr. Priebus held a, quote, African-American engagement and listening session in Atlanta with African-American small business owners and community leaders from across Georgia. According to a black Republican blogger who was at the meeting, this means that Reince Priebus met with Georgia's black Republicans. Mr. Priebus told reporters afterward that the Republican Party has to change its ways. He said the party has to spend more time in more communities year-round, not just before an election. But on the core stuff, the Republican chairman says that Republicans are okay. Quote, I don't think there's anything that we need to fix as far as our principles and our policies. So, on some level, it is clearly embarrassing to Republicans that more than 90% of African Americans vote against them. It must be, or else they would not keep announcing every four years that the Republican Party was wrong to use race for political advantage, that the party was wrong to use race as a political wedge. It sounds nice, right? The new Republican Party is going to reach out to you, you, right where you live. Kind of like when Mitt Romney went to the Martin Luther King Day Parade in Jacksonville. Who's got your camera, though? Who let the dogs out? Yeah, who did let those dogs out? Or how about the time that Newt Gingrich called Spanish the language of living in the ghetto and then apologized in Spanish? Al fin de semana pasado, hice unos comentarios que reconozco produjeron un mal sentimiento entre la comunidad latina. Or how about when the Republican Party elected an African-American chairman and he announced the dawn of the hip-hop Republican with Republican principles in urban, suburban, hip-hop settings. How's that working out anyway? Oh, right. If the Republican Party really wants to change, they might start thinking about folks like these. Voters in an Ohio city forced to wait in ridiculous lines because Republicans cut the time for early voting. 
Republicans are still trying to make it harder for people in urban, suburban, hip-hop settings to vote with laws that require new forms of ID. And they are still voting down bills that would expand early voting or just keep the lines reasonable at the polls. And Republicans are still making plain old life harder for working people. They're still cutting taxes on the rich and snipping away the safety net for the poor. The day Republicans really go out into our communities and make a priority of our priorities, well, then you'll know that the real makeover has arrived. The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. When sororities and fraternities decide that they want to do racist, racist theme parties, it's usually not a good idea. And Duke University hasn't learned that uh, lesson yet. And I'm specifically talking about Kappa Sigma fraternity at Duke. They had uh, an Asian-themed party. And uh, in the invites, they included uh, words like hero and chank you. Okay, it's basically. Chank Uger, right? No, not Chank Uger. <laughs> okay. And obviously trying to make fun of the way Asians talk. Um, and oh. what's, re what's really amazing about this story is originally when they sent out invites, the university said, no, we're not in favor of this party. And originally they named the party Kappa Sigma Asia Prime. And uh, I guess, uh, you know, school administrators, whatever, said, no, no, not a good idea. You don't do that. So they renamed the party International Relations. Oh, well. <laughs> If they're doing international relations, well, then have at it, Hoss. Uh, and uh, how'd they dress at the party? Well, we have photos of it. Uh, Asian students at the university were pretty outraged about it. They took pictures from the party, and uh, they put out these flyers. Uh, and, of course, they want to raise awareness about what's going on, and they're talking about how much they hate this type of behavior on campus. Um, by the way, just a quick note, in the second flyer you can see where it says, You Mad Bro. That makes it seem a little less serious. Anytime I see You Mad Bro, like, yeah. I, I kind of like laugh at the situation as opposed to take it seriously. Now, the naked person, is that a dude or, or a woman? I can't tell, to be honest. I was yeah. staring at that picture for quite a while, trying to figure that out. But Yeah, so was I, until I got a little uncomfortable. So I was like, what if it's a dude and I keep looking? It looks like a penis has been censored out of that image. Oh, is that right? Yeah. That's funny. Okay, uh, now, putting the kidding aside, um, I, look, here's the thing. I don't know if it's racist. And look, I, my son is Asian, okay? So it's not like I, I'm not sensitive to the concerns of that community. Uh, but especially on a college campus, how do you not know you're going to get in trouble for it, right? 
Just don't do it. Don't do it. I mean, you're on a college campus. You want to have fun. Go ahead. Have fun. But why do you have to put race into it? And I understand some might make the argument that, oh, this isn't racist. Come on. Maybe it's offensive. Whatever. Who cares? All you know is that all we know is that the Asian students on campus were offended by it. In fact, they released statements. Uh, Ashley Tsai, who's a senior at Duke University, said the following. This is not just about Asians, one party or one frat. This is a consistent thing happening. We want serious things to be done by the student body and the university so this never happens again. Um, so they Look, they're in a tough spot because they, they, they want to complain about it. They think it's not the right way to go, etc. But every... Complaint like that sounds overly serious, like like we just you know launched a bomb or something. But so I, I'm torn on the story. But here, let me tell you a personal story about me. And I'm so old that uh, when I was growing up, the word Oriental was actually used. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then Asian started to come along, and they were both there for, at the same time for a while. And then it became overnight. I remember I was a senior in high school. It became overnight to like be totally politically incorrect to use the word oriental. And I was like, what, what happened? What, who, who sent the memo out and had this? And then the explanations were, no, no, you call rugs oriental. You don't call people oriental. I was like, well, you call rugs Turkish and you also call people Turkish. So what difference does it make, right? And then I said, they're like, no, 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 orient is from the Western perspective and it means the East, but occidental is means West. I mean, it doesn't, none of the arguments made any sense to me. You know what, I, why I stopped using the word Oriental and went with Asian eventually and fairly quickly? Because people were getting offended. So even if you think it's wrong, if you're offending people and they're really bothered by it, okay, so what? What's the big deal? Use Asian and we move on, right? And don't do it another theme party where you get drunk and have an awesome time without offending other people. Is that too much to ask? Uh, so last night, um, I decided that I would watch at least the first part of the Oscars, um, and I watched the you know the opening number and would kind of pop in periodically um, to see how it was going. And a few minutes before they were going to announce the Best Actress nominee, which I was very excited about because there is a young lady who is nine years old named Quavenja Ne Wallace who is in. Um, uh, Beast of the Southern Wild, and she's only the second African American uh, to be a woman to be nominated for Best Actress ever, <laughs> and um, and she's um, uh, and she did an amazing job in her movie. So I was all excited. I'm like, oh, this little nine year old girl might win, but she's at the Oscars. This is great. And I'm reading through my Twitter timeline, and I follow the Onion. And the onion tweeted a message. And what, and what did the onion say, Dasha? <sighs> Bad word alert. <laughs> you don't want to hear this word. Turn off the radio for the next five seconds. And then turn it back on again. <gasps> the onion said, everyone else seems afraid to say it. But that Quavinjane Wallace is kind of a cunt, right? Hashtag Oscars 2013. 
Right. So I saw that just, and it just came up, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. And just immediately there was a Twitter broke. Twitter exploded. The moment it started circulating around to everybody, um, it, it kind of broke the Internet. Mm-hmm. And I think it broke a lot of people. And so this is what I was rage writing about this morning. Um, wasn't, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't the, the tweet itself that necessarily made me fill with rage. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the, the messages of support, uh, for this kind of language that I think is what made me so upset. And mm-hmm. the fact that it was about a, a kid. Like this is a this is a this is a kid that we're, she's nine years old and the joke just to be clear I get the joke the joke is about how like terrible Hollywood gossip is and how like here we have this 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 kid who everybody loves is totally adorable has you know is just sort of this darling right and so let's just flip it and say something really terrible about her to make fun of how um, how sort of desperate and evil Hollywood culture can be. Right. So let's, let's flip it. That's, that's the joke, right? But it was at the expense of this nine-year-old girl. And I just, I, it, it, it brings up feelings and it brings up words. <laughs> and I think that there's a lot, there's been a lot of, um, there's been a lot of response out there and people are like, oh, it's a joke. Don't you get it? It's a joke. And it's like, yeah, it's a joke. And I get it. And it wasn't funny. If you're going to do a joke, make it funny. Here, and, and, and that's where I, I kick in. I, I finally thought about it and, um, cause we touched a little bit on it on AmTwib, but I realized that the, the biggest, the, 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 not the biggest, uh, the, one of the major crimes of this particular tweet was that the joke was hack. And, so, and, and if you, if you're not familiar, like when, when, when you hear comics talk about something being hacky or something's being hack, it's because it's like something that's been uh, done so much. It's overplay. It's overdone. There's no real, uh, like interestingness behind it. There's, it's, there's no, uh, 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 anything that's unique about it. Like, like it's just, it's just a hack joke. That's why you'll hear people talk about hack jokes when you hear about airplane food because that became hack. It was like, Oh, what's the deal with airplane food? It's so bad, right? Huh? And so everyone just comes to do it and there's nothing interesting about it. Everyone's doing it. You, you, it's kind this, this is a hack joke. And so in this situation, the joke that they're making is it's, it's, it's a hack joke that we've heard like a million times. You take someone who's being super nice, super sweet, super innocent, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, Oh, what a bitch. Or like, Oh, you're such an asshole. And, and it's like, but the, obviously the joke is that the person isn't that, but like, oh, but we're being catty and nasty about it. And this, and that's ha ha ha. That's the joke. And it's, and it, it's worked in the past. It was funny. But what the situation here was the joke that they tried to throw out there was basically that repackaged joke, but they were trying to make it not seem hacked. So they were like, they had to up the ante. So instead of just going, Oh, what's a bitch or something like that, which is normally the joke. It's like, Oh, she's a real cunt. Right. And they tried to up the game, up the, the ante of the joke, which in all honesty, you did up the ante of the joke, which is why when it, when it failed, it bombed so hard that it fell so goddamn flat. And now you're dealing with people because you've not only made this, this joke, it was just not funny. It was hack. You've, you've done a bad, job and that but on top of that you've now entered into the space of 
insulting a nine-year-old with a derogatory term on uh, uh, used uh, against women, actually using uh, a derogatory term for a part of a woman as an insult in general. You're now you're now stacking up all the fucked up shit that that goes along with this. It's just like boom, 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 and you don't even have the haha. This was funny to back it up. You just nope. fucked up. Yeah, and and I have to say that. Um, I mean, after they tweeted that, uh, the onion ostensibly went quiet. Like they, there were two tweets, I think, that came out after it, and then it was just like done. There was just nothing for hours. And I was joking with Elon earlier that they were feverishly, feverishly flipping through Baratunde's Day's book, How to Be Black, for the chapter oh, on Jesus. making terrible jokes about nine-year-old girls. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Which, side note, Baratunde Day does not work for the onion. He is not the Onion's magical black friend. Uh, yeah, Stop asking him to fix this. I've been hearing folks like, oh, well, Baratuni has a sin. Baratuni has a weighed in on this. And I'm like, Google him! Why, do you, why does Baratuni need he to He don't work on this? there no more! And, like, and also, he's, he, did he write the tweet? No. Is, it, is, is he the, uh, in charge of the Onion? No, he was a part of the, the, the uh, he was their, their digital director for a while. But that's, I mean, that's, but, yeah, it's not, so, it's not his, it's not, no, you can't. You that can't bring him into. I don't know why they. His why would you pick a, pick a random employee at the Onion to to, to, uh, to vouch for this? A random former employee well, from the Onion a year I, ago. I'm hoping that what people were thinking was that quote unquote digital director, meaning that oh he must control the Twitter feed. I'm hoping that's what what they thought. Uh, it, and it wasn't just simply the fact that they were just like, there's a black guy who works there, and I'm like, what does he have to say? I'm hoping that it was more to it than that, but it felt like that was a lot. And I was and I, I was better. I wouldn't have anyone like what I what. I'm not doing this. Yeah, I just yeah no. So just yeah, stop and, stop tweeting at Bear today. <laughs> but I, I, and so at the same time, so we, this discussion's been happening, and uh, a lot of things have happened. People, uh, uh, I think, uh, started calling the the onion racist, uh, and it, it's become this big thing. And I find myself, it's funny, I in this weird as a lot of these topics come up. If you ever listen to the show, uh, I end like you, you've noticed that this is this has become a pattern with me. I I'm in this weird gray area. Like one, do I think the joke was funny? Nope. Fell, fell flat. It's fucked up. But I feel like it's been a little bit, uh, disingenuous, some of the critiques of it, because they're, uh, because the, the critiques are implying that the, uh, whatchamacallit, the intent behind it was in fact to attack uh, a nine-year-old and call her a cut, and that's, and that's, uh, that's what happened. And I'm like, well, I'm just content, it was, it was an attempted hacky joke. And understand, and if you come from that position, if you're like, oh, no, I, I, I get that, I understand that part, it was hacked, but it, it, it's just not funny, I got no problem with that. It, I, but like the idea that they attacked a nine-year-old, like I don't, I don't feel that's what happened. I feel like they fucked up. Huge. <laughs> and a lot of times, when, when, when you're trying to be edgy, you take that, you take that risk. I'm an artist, I'm a comic. Like it's like all of those things, like I know I take risk. Uh, sometimes I will say something that I know could get me in trouble. And I say it. And I have to own it at that point. It's like, yep, I said it. And that was the, that was the first thing is that the, that the, uh, the onion deleted the tweet, which I was like, you know what? Even if I you, actually, even if you yeah, would... I actually disagree with that. What? I I disagree with the fact that they that they uh, deleted the tweet. You you did? Oh, you disagree? You don't think they I should? Have. I don't think that, I do not think they should have pulled it down. I think they should have left it and kept oh. it in the archive. As this is what you did. You said it. Well, well, I agree. Is, oh, that's a that's a panic response. So you can't. When you're sitting there, when you're sitting there, like four people at a computer, and someone types something, and all of a sudden the the weight of the world comes down on four people at computers watching the the Oscars. There's just a panic response. I don't know if there was any strategy besides, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, behind it. Honestly, 
<laughs> so yeah, that's why I imagine the, the fever is flipping through the book. Do you, do you, like, what do we do? What do we do? I'm a, what, I, what I'm assuming is Dasha sent him a text, uh, and they clicked on it, and they all said, "Was like fix it, 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 fix this now." What's wrong with you? That's what I'm assuming happened. I mean, that might not have been what happened, but I'm assuming that's what happened. Uh, I mean, here's here's the thing though. It would have like the joke, the the way that that hack joke structure works too is that you're you're um you're exploiting the vast like gap between the reality of the of the person that you're talking about. So in this case, Wallace, right? You're you're exploiting the fact that she's like this sort of pinnacle of goodness and she's a child and she's innocent and you're um you're you're coupling it with this most extreme like just like terribly rude vile term, right? right. And like, that's it's in that wide gap that the humor is supposed to exist, right? That's where it comes from. But the problem is is that for so many women, girls, and women and girls of color, the gap between that word and your identity as a woman, girl, in this country is not that wide. Mm. So the joke falls flat because the likelihood of you being called that name is actually pretty high. Funny enough, I believe I believe uh, what this what this kind of uh, falls into is remember when we were talking about. Um, homophobia and the idea that uh, like I was saying that I feel like there's the, the the language is missing to discuss what homophobia what what people mean because everything is homophobic either and, and either you're homophobic or you're not and that's and that's it whereas within the on the realm of race we have a lot of different things that we can use we can uh, how we label things and do stuff like that but someone made the argument that the, re, like the there's certain things you can't really like uh, like even have that quote unquote academic wonky version of of the conversation about it because within the, the within that community people are still dying uh, like mm-hmm. because of being bullied and stuff like that and I was like you know what valid I will, I will, I will step back on that. You're right. That it, it's still too real. And I feel like that's the argument that Dasha has been making here that, you know, like forget the young, forget the young girl herself. Like think mm-hmm. about what, what, what the, what the language is, what it means and how it's used and the idea that it was never even questioned about how this could be perceived. And now you could uh, think of in the, uh, in the, from the position of, Oh, well, I mean, because we just figured that, um, uh, no one will want to be upset. They everyone understands that this is, look, we're kidding. Or you could look at it from the position of privilege, meaning that, Oh, I never even thought about why, uh, about how this could be uh, perceived me saying this about a nine year old black girl. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it becomes this weird uh back and forth on that and I think that's I think that's really really interesting and kind of messed up. Well, you know, I mean the thing is if we still live in a country where um where the 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 most popular image of young black girls and women is is not a positive image. Right. I mean, the very fact that we're all super excited about Kerry Washington on Scandal because she's the first woman since the 70s to lead a show. Right. Says something about our politics of representation. The fact that like the way that we represent, we are represented in the media, um, is, is not reflective of who we actually are. And so that's sort of weird and, uh, um, fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it, side effect of, of, uh, of Quivagene's, uh, existence sort of as a nine year old Oscar nominee is that she does actually become, lose some of her identity and become representative of of something for a lot of people so like little girls at home could sit at home and look at her and be like oh my gosh there's a little girl just like me and she's at the oscars and she gets you know she gets ridiculed on stage and we've talked about this elon that's you know seth seth mcfarland hosted the oscars i do not agree with the way that he was talking about her on the stage 
at all. And so in the context of, of, you know, of Seth MacFarlane's comments and then the tweet, what, what is, what are we communicating to, to folks who would aspire to be like her? It, it means that you, that you don't want to be like her because you would want to have to put up with that. Well, how are your children doing? Are they all right? <laughs> how are they? My kids are good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they can't. On paper, they're great. They're two little white girls in America. Right, right. I mean, what? Yeah. Sometimes I look at it that way. I look yeah. at them. I'm like, you can't say anything. Yeah. You're you're doing awesome. Right. Just boilerplate, great lives. I gave my daughter medicine the other day, and it was bubblegum flavored, so that she'll take it. Bubblegum flavored medicine? Yeah, you get me like Tylenol, it's bubblegum flavored. Oh, it's not methadone or anything. It's no, 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 it's bubblegum flavored. <laughs> I get her, she's got a fever, Tylenol, bubblegum flavored. And she goes, ew. I'm like, F- you, ew. <laughs> you can't say ew. I'm sorry. Oh, It's medicine. Medicine, right, exactly. It's medicine. Most children don't have medicine. Right. Most children in the world, they get sick, they die on a rock with a bear eating them. That's, that's how they handle it. Right, right, right. And, oh, he's got a sniffle, ring the bear bell and put him outside, whatever they do. You're a little white girl in America. You wear clothes made by children your age professionally. You don't get to say, ew, about your bubble gum medicine. I never heard of bubble gum medicine. Well, you got the holidays coming up. Are you doing any, any plans? Any, no, you seem I, like a very I, holiday guy. I, I just, yeah. I just want to say I'm not trying to say that if you're white, you can't complain. Right. I'm just saying that if you're black, you get to complain more. Right, right. Because <laughs> you can't. There you go. No, no, don't tell the band that. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. 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 you can't. You get this right. You can't take people's like historical context away from them. And right. everybody wants this to. Like white people are always like, "Come on." It wasn't us. Like, they want black people to forget everything. Like, every year, white people add a hundred years to how long ago slavery was. I've heard educated white people say slavery was 400 years ago. No, it very wasn't. It was 140 years ago. That's two 70-year-old ladies living and dying back to back. That's how recently... You could buy a guy. That's it. And it's not like slavery ended and then everything has been amazing. <laughs> like it just. Oh, glad that's over. Oh, yeah. It just ended like a clean <laughs> where you don't have to wipe. Just boom. And then it's just been parades and presents yeah, ever right. since. Exactly. You gotta. You gotta remember that if you meet a black person, they have gray hair, they remember a time they weren't allowed to use a certain toilet. So give them a little, you know, time to be cranky. And by the way, white people have our own thing that we, yeah. stuff that we went sure, through. Sure, sure. That, that hurt us that we have to cope with. Like when they took our slaves away. That was really hard for us. And we're still. So it's pretty even. <laughs> so, it's, so it's even. Yeah. It's even. 
We got another Fox fail for you guys. This time it's Bob Beckel, the resident liberal. <laughs> Man, they're hilarious over at Fox News. So they bring on liberals to basically agree with them. He, if you remember, Bob was recently on Bill O'Reilly when they declared, NBC hasn't covered the drone story at all! When, of course, NBC was the one that broke the drone story. Oops. But Bob's not done yet. Get a load of this liberal. Look what happens to your eyes when you, you're gone. That's right. I went swimming after being convinced to go and exercise. I went swimming. What did I get? My eyes blew up. Maybe look... Uh, or yeah. That's all I said. That's all I said. People don't say that. That's like a bug. Well, they don't say that either. Don't say it. No. 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 I think in this study. Oriental. Really? He's their liberal on that panel. And I love at Fox News, the rest of them are like, oh, we, people don't say that anymore. No, no, no. At Fox News, we find ways to hate minorities without actually saying it. So you're bad for actually saying a word you're not supposed to say. But. Uh, probably the next liberal they'll bring on, they'll be like, look, 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 Bob was, yeah, Bob was totally out of line with that oriental stuff. He meant China. It really worries me that 84% of this audience agree with this statement because the kind of people that say political correctness gone mad are usually using that phrase as a, a kind of cover action to uh, attack uh, minorities of people that they disagree with. I'm of an age where I can see the difference that political correctness has made. When I was four years old, my uh, grandfather drove me around Birmingham where the Tories had just fought an election campaign saying if you want a nigger for a neighbour, vote Labour. And he drove me around saying, this is where all the coons and niggers and jungle bunnies live. And I remember going, being at school in the early 80s, and my, uh, my teacher, when he read the register, instead of saying the name of the one Asian boy in the class, he would say, is the black spot in, right? And um, all these things have gradually been eroded by political correctness, which seems to me about, uh, to be about uh, a kind of institutionalized politeness at its worst. And if there is some fallout from this, which means that, someone in office might get in trouble one day for saying something that someone was a bit unsure about because they couldn't decide if it was sexist or homophobic or racist. It's a small price to pay for the massive benefits and improvements in the quality of life for millions of people that political correctness has made. It's a whole, it's a complete lie mm. that allows the right, which basically controls uh, uh, media now and international politics, to make people on the left that are concerned about the way people are represented look like they're killjoys. And yeah. you've been, you've been uh, sick, so I, really I, sick of it. Those 84% of you in this room that have agreed with this phrase, you're like those people that turn around and go, you know who the most oppressed minority in Britain today are? White middle class men. You're a bunch of idiots. Points were easily dissuaded. 
I say by who. I think they are valid, and I'm far from the only one saying that. I think your counterpoints are easily dissuaded, in fact. You have to understand that when someone calls in, they have a very limited time to speak, so they have to hit the most salient points, and you just don't get a lot of time to expand. That being said, of course I don't ignore the fact that we are making lifetime enemies when we utilize drones. But what should we do? They hit us, or try to hit us, and then go hide behind the skirts of women and children. When we go try to get them, of course innocents are going to get hurt. That's warfare. You cannot live as a nation without pissing some people off. Besides, I don't remember them having that hard of a time finding recruits before drones, or before we even went to war against terror. They didn't seem to like us then, they damn sure don't seem to like us now. Now you might say, well that's because of our foreign policy. Right, right, it's that, that terrible foreign policy of America, like that time that we helped the Afghanis get rid of the Soviets, or the time we saved Kuwait from a possible genocidal but certainly brutal Saddam, or that time we helped out in Bosnia, or the fact that South Korea only exists because we stand strong. Good old American foreign policy, always evil, and always after oil, right? But back to the blowback. The president has a duty to protect the citizens. He is going to go after these people. That is going to happen. And people are going to die. It doesn't matter if the innocent people are killed by drones, a SEAL team, or some group of Interpol agents, who I hear are just swarming all over Afghanistan and Yemen, by the way. People are still going to die, and people are still going to get pissed. The, the cause of death doesn't matter. The president is saving American lives by utilizing drones, which is his duty to do. I mean, what do you want the guy to do? Now, back to your law enforcement Interpol thing, which I, I truly found ridiculous, Jay. I got to admit. But let's entertain it. Let's say Al-Awlaki gets surrounded by some Interpol agents somehow in Yemen. And is he just going to surrender? Oh, you got me. No, of course not. There's going to be a shootout. He's still going to be dead, and so are innocent people, more than likely. And probably some Interpol agents. Yet again, by utilizing drones, lives were saved. As of the presumed innocence of Al-Awlaki, that's a good point. You, you, you do have a good point there, but the guy was not only didn't make it a secret of what he was doing, he was proud of it. He, he wanted it to, to be known. So there you go. I'm sorry. Extraordinary circumstance. As to your point on judicial overview, it's a good point. I have no argument to that. All in all, I, I would have to say I find your idea of using, I can't get off of that, of using your law enforcement in these areas as Afghanistan, Yemen, Pakistan, Somalia, Sudan, it's, it's ludicrous. The governments of, of these countries don't even control all of their territory. And you think that Interpol, the FBI, or any other law enforcement agency is going to arrest them? That is wishful thinking at best. Finally, I must say this. Everyone must take a little bit of a break and just have a little faith in the government. You liberals are starting to sound a lot like my gun club buddies. Well, the government's going to come take my guns. The government's going to start using hellfires to kill political dissenters inside the United States without judicial overview, and it's just going to be crazy. That's not going to happen. The government of the United States is not evil. We, if we don't have faith in that, what's the freaking point? I mean, I'm, I'm just tired of that. Both sides, right and left, just find something to bitch about all the time. It's just getting on my nerves. Sorry, blowing off a little bit of steam. But anyway, Jay, I hope I hit the better points. Again, you don't have a lot of time to talk, so I'm just trying to bust them out, okay? Doesn't mean I didn't think about something, just means I didn't have time to say it. So anyway, Jay, have a good one.
Hi, Jay. This is Nathan from Vancouver, Washington. I'm calling about the Drone War episodes, and what I think they did really well there was abstracting away the technology. For instance, if a drone came over with a Spider-Man web and captured these people and brought them to trial, then we wouldn't have any. It would actually be awesome that there was a drone, no soldiers at risk. The thing that I think is really important here is that the Constitution is not supposed to be a, a utilitarian document. It's supposed to be a set of principles that even if torture works, we don't use torture. Even if violating civil rights makes it easier to get criminals, we don't do it. So one of the things that we have a problem with is that our president and, and many of our legislators don't have principle. They try to approach moral questions from this utilitarian stance, and even if you can move the needle on terrorism or gun violence or whatever by a couple of you know, ticks in either direction, violating rights in the process is immoral and should not be done. And we shouldn't euphemize these. You know, police brutality is murder and assault. They overstep their bounds, they become criminals. When Obama decides that he can kill people without due process, he becomes a criminal and we should impeach him and we should, you know, we should not euphemize it as, oh, well, he made a shady policy mistake. This is an actual violation of his oath of office and should be treated as such. And I think that just kind of debating it as, oh, maybe he should have, maybe he shouldn't have because of some sort of effectiveness scale is really missing the point. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So I think that, you know, obviously without even knowing it, the second caller today made one of the best rebuttals to the first caller today, Wade. So I'm just going to leave that as it is because I I don't think I could improve on it. But I'm going to respond to Wade from a completely different angle because I've noticed a pattern beginning with him that I wanted to point out. So this is just from today, which you just heard his voicemail uh, in just one section of what he said about drone strikes. Of course I don't ignore the fact that we are making lifetime enemies when we utilize drones. But what should we do? They hit us or try to hit us and then go hide behind the skirts of women and children. And this is from a couple of weeks ago on the topic of gun policy when he was discussing what could potentially be done to stop uh, more tragedies like the Newtown massacre. You want my proposal? I don't have one because there's not much you can do. And I think this really crystallizes one of the fundamental differences between conservatism and progressivism. Because when Wade asks the question, as he does, what else are we going to do? What he really means is there's nothing else we can do, as he put a little bit more bluntly in the the discussion about gun policy. And that is absolutely at the core of progressivism is to answer that question rather than to ask it rhetorically and insist that nothing can be done. We actually take it seriously. What what are we going to do? I don't know. Let's actually think about it. Let's propose some policies. Maybe we'll have some good ideas. Maybe we'll have some bad ideas. We'll debate them and then actually move forward on the good ideas. Whereas conservatives, of course, are interested in maintaining the status quo, that they're interested in conserving the status quo. That's what they're known for. But I actually heard this rebutted once by a conservative. You know, someone was saying that conservatives stand in the way of progress and new ideas. And the conservative said, no, 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 we're just standing in the way of bad ideas. I thought, okay, cute. Like, I get it. 
that's a really nice idea. I appreciate that. Uh, obviously, when you have a problem and you're trying to come up with ideas to fix that problem, some of the ideas that people are going to come up with are going to be bad. That's true. It's also true that some of them are going to be good and some of them may work. That's the point of government. At least liberals and progressives are trying to come up with ideas rather than insisting that there are no ideas to be had, as Wade seems to imply, on a semi-regular basis now. And who in the year 2013 can actually say with a straight face that we can't change something for the better? You can look back in our history and you're going to say, nope, however things are now, that's how they're going to stay. You know, The only thing in life you can actually count on is that things will change. So suggesting that how things are is how they have to stay is the height of absurdity. And in governmental policy, the only way to absolutely ensure the continued failure of a broken system is to do nothing, which is, seems to be the only policy proposal I ever hear out of the GOP and people like Wade. And it's all about priorities, you know. So Wade thinks that international cooperation and police-style enforcement rather than military-style enforcement is laughable. But we spent a trillion dollars minimum on those wars in the Middle East. You think if we spent a trillion dollars on police enforcement that that wouldn't sound so far-fetched anymore? The last thing I want to say on drones is something I actually agree with Wade about, and is that I don't actually think most liberals believe that armed drones are going to be used to kill Americans in America with Hellfire missiles without judicial oversight. And that's why the episode I'd made on the subject was titled, Drones Are Not the Problem, They Just Highlight the Problem. Assassinations obviously don't have to happen with drone strikes. That's not the point. The entirety of the argument of the episode was the one that Wade didn't even try to rebut, the lack of ju judicial oversight for an assassination program. To that, he said, you know what? You got me. Good idea. I, I don't know. I don't have anything else to say about that. And every other point he made was just excuses of convenience to get around that one immutable pillar of our constitutional system. And that's why it was miraculous in, in the coincidence that the second caller today made the perfect point to rebut weight on that, is that our constitution is supposed to be set up so that we have to do things the hard way rather than the easy or more convenient way in order to protect the rights of people. If anything is exceptional about our country, it's that. It's that we decide to do things not because they are easy, but because they are hard, to borrow a line from someone of no consequence, I'm sure, in order to protect the rights of individuals. That's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening, especially thanks to those who support the show, either by becoming a member or making one-time donations. That is absolutely how the program survives. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day. Thank Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Thought bonds now black and white. You took apart a picture that wasn't right. Pitch burning on a shining shoe.